Gator Nation and welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators, your team every day. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, staff writer for the Lake City Reporter. What's up, Florida fans? Welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators. On today's show, we're going to get some perspective from the other side as we're joined by Jeff Santel from Dog Nation to get his thoughts on this Florida-Georgia rivalry, what we'll see from the Bulldogs on Saturday, and we'll get into a matchup breakdown on both sides of the ball and how the result of this game could impact recruiting. Also, Florida basketball was victorious in their exhibition game last night, 89-71 to over Lynn. The Gators had seven players who made their first appearance for Florida, including Kerry Blackshear. He had a double-double with 16 points and 10 rebounds, including a buzzer beater at the end of the first half. Andrew Nemhard led Florida with 17 points. Freshman Trey Mann scored 13 points and had some nice assists in the game. And Keontae Johnson also got in double figures with 12 points. The Gators will be back in action next week at home for their season opener. Now let's get into my interview with Jeff Centel from Dog Nation. Here was our conversation this week. We're now joined by Jeff Centel from Dog Nation. Always great to catch up with Jeff. He and I work together at SEC Country. Saw some Florida-Georgia battles, and we'll see another one on Saturday in Jacksonville. Jeff, welcome into the show. How you doing, my friend? Hey, Zach, man. I hope everything's going great, man. Uh, got another cocktail party to go to. We, we can call it that, right, still on your podcast, right? Is that allowed? Uh, well, if you're ever talking to me, I don't care where I'm at or what podcast I'm on, it's the cocktail party. I mean, it's got to stay that way. I, said, I know you're an outstanding family, man. I didn't know whether that you would mellowed a little bit and – Gonna call it the Volvo tailgate or something like that. It's good to see that you stand your roots there. <laughs> that's right, man. Well, look, we got another top ten matchup on Saturday, uh, Jeff, and that's that's the first time that we've had that in this rivalry since the early eighties. So Florida Georgia has really kind of been brought into another level with these new head coaches and things have changed a lot for at least Florida since two years ago when Jim McElwain was fired after losing to the Bulldogs. Um First of all, just kind of an overview, Jeff. What do you think about how this rivalry has kind of maybe been spiced up the last couple of years and, and maybe what Dan Mullen has done to try to get more competitive with Kirby Smart? Yeah, he he definitely um, was in the talking game in the off season with the the mythical midi he did or maybe he didn't spring game attendance figure with always seemingly trying to both poke the bear. He's made the blind squirrel comments. He, he, it just seems that he wanted to be more of that straw stirring the drink for the Georgia-Florida rivalry. And what he's done is he's excited his fan base, and he's tried to make the Gators back on that stage, trying to put them in that relevancy thing. Maybe when the football team wasn't there yet. Now, I tell you, this, those press clippings and those headlines live on, and I know a lot of the Georgia people are, are hoping that their program has what it takes to maybe silence a lot of that off-season yapping uh, between these two fan bases. But you see, again, this to me is another Dan Mullen team that doesn't have the pieces, doesn't have the roster Georgia does, but he's scheming guys, man. He's creative. He, he's made a living in his career about taking the, the three-star or the top 150 player and up and folding and, and molding them and folding them into some pretty good teams. And, this Florida team, backup quarterbacks, backups everywhere. Who's the offensive tackle is going to be? They 
they've quietly put together a team that, make no mistake about it, that a lot of the Georgia people are worried about this game. And, and, and certainly things should be a lot more competitive than they were last year and definitely in 2017. But, you know, this is a rivalry game, and I think, I think all bets are off when these two teams get matched up. Now, let's get, give us a little overview on Georgia. For the last time that, that Florida saw this team, they got the win in Jacksonville. They move on to play in Atlanta once again. What do you feel like this program has kind of gone since then? And, and obviously this year with Georgia, the last couple of weeks have kind of not been, I'm sure, what this team wants. It's kind of funny, Zach. I've kind of got Halloween on my mind. So what, what this seems like to me, and, and, you know, this was the year where Georgia needed to showcase the tight end more, kind of like what Florida's doing with Kyle Pitts. They needed – that was for recruiting. They needed to be more explosive. They needed to put the ball in the air more. And yet it's kind of like your wife saying on Halloween that, yeah, you know that bowl of candy? You can't give anybody any M&Ms. You can't give anybody any Reese's Pieces. You can't give anybody any Snickers or Twix or Three Musketeers. Everything else in that bag you can use because that's sort of what George's receiving core looks like. They saw three guys go away to the NFL, and they were drafted into the NFL. That was a talent migration. They say they saw J.J. Holloman dismissed from the team for off-the-field activities. So what it is with that, Zach, is, man, you got to look at that. That's the Halloween bowl of candy for the kids, but there's no, there's no Twix, there's no Snickers, there's no M&Ms, there's no Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. And you got to make do with, like, sweet tarts and some Sour Patch Kids to be named later. That's kind of what Georgia has from its receiving core when the rallying cry for the offseason was doing more, being more explosive, Jake Fromm taking another step towards the NFL in the Georgia passing game, and yet they're relying on a three-star graduate transfer in Lawrence Sager, who's been hurt and in and out of the lineup with a shoulder injury. He's going to be back for Florida this week. And a five-star receiver in George Pickens, and another near five-star receiver in Dominic Blaylock. Now, those guys are true freshmen, but Zach, those were the first top five, like top five receivers that Georgia has signed since 2009. Now, they're getting the players to be weapons in the passing game, but they're just still young. So, meanwhile, it's a combination of all these things, missing J.J. Holloman, missing three guys that went on to the NFL, breaking in freshmen, the go-to guy in Kaiser being hurt with a shoulder. That's why Georgia's kind of fizzled a lot offensively when it tries to do more and throw it around in the passing game to look more explosive by comparison, like Alabama, like LSU. They're just not that right now. Sure. How much do you also think the, the coordinator change has has had anything to do with maybe some hiccups along the way or, or just trying to get the scheme where they want it to be with the personnel that they have? Well, I think Coley is going to be a little bit more open than Cheney ever was. I think Coley's the type of guy that likes to get his running backs out in space more, likes to use the screens more. The numbers say that Georgia's targeted the tight ends more, but you're just not seeing that. There have been some games where Georgia, just the way they've built, and a lot of this, frankly, Zach is influenced by the head coach. There's a way that Curdy Smart wants to win games, and put teams away, and that's by using its overpowering run game and its physical front to wear, things, wear teams down. Georgia's still a top 15 offense in the country, 
except that it doesn't have that playmaker like everyone else in the conference is putting up. So that's why you hear grumblings about James Coley's offense. There's not enough shots downfield. There's not enough explosive plays where, you know, Georgia, even another name, remember five-star receiver Demetrius Robertson? He transferred. He's never been completely healthy since game one, game two. He's been fighting a hamstring, and it's like Georgia's having to go to its kind of lesser, more talented guys at wide receiver to try and give their offense a little more punch. And I think it's funny how Georgia lost turnover math with South Carolina. They were they were zero four in the turnover ratio. Turnover ratio. They had a kick block. They missed the kick in the second overtime. Otherwise, that game against South Carolina is a typical. 27 to 14 type win and everybody feels a little bit better about the Georgia program but these back-to-back weeks where Georgia looks bad against South Carolina gets beat at home and then the get right game against Kentucky was played in maybe some of that Forrest Gump rain where it's raining sideways and raining upside (laughs) down and raining upside I mean and, and, and Georgia totally just put the passing game on the shelf in the second half because they knew they could ride DeAndre Swift to a victory. I know a lot of people start coming up with these stats and ratios for this game, but, Zach, it's really pretty simple. What Georgia has done so far to beat Dan Mullen and the Gators in Jacksonville is they've made them have to rely on their run game because they couldn't throw the ball against Georgia. If you look at the stats, Florida's about averaging about 101 yards against Georgia since Kirby Smart has been the coordinator through the air, been the head coach through the air. And what Florida is doing is they're running the ball. Look at 2016, look at 2017, look at 2018. Florida's carrying the ball about 40 times per game in all those games, trying to get something against Georgia on the ground because it's not happening for them through the air. Yeah, and, and that's, that's great stuff And because I really think that that's when we look at Saturday's matchup and how it could break down – maybe some things that could change or might have to change in order for Florida to get the win. Uh, before we get into the passing offense and what the Gators have done with Kyle Trask, I, I want to talk about Georgia's rushing offense because I do think that that's going to be one of the keys to the game is how does Florida, how are they able to defend Georgia's rushing attack and especially if they can get back their starting defensive ends, Jabari Zuniga and Jonathan Grenard. How do you kind of see that matchup between Florida's front seven and Georgia's running backs running behind that big offensive line that they got. You know, Zach, that to me is how I think Georgia is just built to win games this year. You know that thing with football teams where, you know, you can beat a team 24 to 10, and then another team might beat the team 31 to 7, and one might think transitive property that, oh, the other team is just a lot better football team. Well, no, that's not the case. Georgia is built to just wear teams down. One of the things – that I think gets lost in everything with Georgia and Florida this week is if you look at the last 13 times Georgia has played Florida, the team that ran the ball for more yards that simply had the better ground attack on that Saturday night in Jacksonville won that football game. And I think that's the type of game Georgia wants to get into. Everybody's sitting there saying Georgia needs to – beat George Pickens and he needs to have his breakout game with three touchdowns and 112 yards or Florida needs to get off with Kyle Trask. I don't think that's the type of football game I'm expecting to see, especially with Georgia. And they know about 
Florida getting back two talented defensive edge guys. I'm wondering whether those guys are going to be full go for 40, 50 snaps, or they're going to be very limited and maybe only play like 20, 25 snaps, especially in, you know, passing situations and in nickel situations. Georgia would be quite content with just holding on to the ball, keeping themselves ahead of the chains, and trying to find a way for DeAndre Swift to have another 145, 150-yard game. Going over to the other side of the ball, obviously Kyle Trask, has been the story of the season for the Florida Gators. Uh, I'm sure you've watched from afar and, and been impressed with how he's taken over for, for, for Felipe Franks. And you mentioned some of the struggles that the Gators have had trying to throw the ball against the Bulldogs. You have to think in this game, I mean, Dan Mullen and his staff have almost gone to, to kind of an air raid offense with Kyle Trask, and I have to think that's going to be their focal point. How does Georgia's secondary match up against that and maybe how do you see those you know, those two sides of the ball going at each other? Well, the good news here, if you're a Georgia fan, is that Georgia welcomes back Tyson Campbell, a five-star haul out of the state of Florida, out of Fort Lauderdale, out of American Heritage from the 2018 class. Now, Tyson Campbell started the first eight games of last year as a true freshman, and then he was moved aside in the starting lineup by Eric Stokes, a guy that, came to Georgia as a raw lump of coal, number 64 corner in the country, but he could run a 10-5 in the 100, and he was about six foot one with a lot of good length. Stokes is now your primary A1A corner for the Bulldogs, but now for the first time in six weeks, Tyson Campbell is healthy, so you got to think out on the edge. Georgia's going to be able to play Florida out on the edge and defend with those two guys. Campbell's coming off turf, though, where he's been kind of sort of close for the last two or three weeks, and now he feels he can explode off of it but also bear some weight when he's locked up with an offensive player in a, in a blocking situation. They feel like they're comfortable with him over the course of a game with that injury. The thing, that, the thing that's going to be bad news for Georgia fans and great news for Florida fans is Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is a guy that, man, Kirby Smart raves about him this week in the press meeting when he, when he met with the media because he said he thought Kyle Pitts might be the most explosive, the best, the most dangerous tight end he's seen in a while in quite wow. some time. And remember, Georgia saw Irv Smith last year in the SEC championship game as well. And a lot of Bulldog fans have to remember the way Notre Dame kind of hung with Georgia and moved the chains a lot was they did it with their tight end. And is Kyle Pitts going to do those same things to Georgia over the middle? I think that's the matchup that has a lot of a lot of people in the Georgia building a little nervous on Saturday. Definitely. That's a, that's a great point and, and definitely high praise from, from Kirby Smart. And as we get into this game on Saturday, Jeff, what you know, you've already maybe alluded to some of them, but what do you feel like is, is kind of the major keys to this game? How do you feel like Florida wins it? How do you feel like Georgia wins it? You know, based on those keys? I think Florida is going to have to be be very balanced, and they're going to have to have those 30, 40 carries for about 150 yards, but they got to throw it more. they got to make Georgia respect both sides of the ball. I mean, respect both of their weapons in their offense, the throw game and the passing game. And I think Florida, the, the, the route to the victory is Florida's got to make Jake Fromm throw the football. They've got to render that ground game ineffective. There's a stat out there that a lot of Georgia fans are well aware of 
and that Georgia has never won a game when Jeff Fromm has thrown the ball more than 26 times. Now, that seems kind of like chicken and the egg here to a lot of football people because Georgia's built to play physical downhill football. Yep. If Jake Fromm's having to throw it 26, 27, 28 times a game, then that means something was amiss with the ground game. I think Georgia, just based on its roster, is the better team. Florida is doing better in recruiting, but they're still not recruiting the way Georgia has. I looked at the blue chip ratio for this game, Zach, and Georgia has 66, excuse me, 76 four or five, four or five star prospects on their roster. And I think Florida's number is 46. So that's still like a big difference in players, but I know a lot of folks. And, and, and no five stars, and no five stars either, by the way, for Florida. Right. The one five, the one five star Florida has is a guy that's still ineligible and won't be playing this year. So I do think it is. I, I still believe in the. I still am part of the cult, the, the Church of College Football's act that it is ultimately players and not plays. Now you can go another another diagram, another dimension of this matchup, and you can simply say, "Okay, all right, smart guy, tell me about the guys on the field. How many of those four or five stars are on the field?" And then that's a little bit different because Georgia is going to have about four or five three stars on the field on both sides of the ball too, much like Florida will. I just simply think the way Georgia wants to play, when they can bring five stars in on special teams, they can bring five stars in in nickel situation to rush the passer, I just think that's indicative of the way Georgia can hang around and keep swapping blows with Florida and then find a way to pull it out in the end. And a big picture for you, Jeff, I mean, what type of implications do you think that this game could have on the SEC East at large and just how these programs are perceived and recruiting? If in a scenario where Florida gets the win, what do you feel like will be the feeling in Dog Nation, uh, you know, if, if maybe they've had a chance to obviously go to Atlanta, had a chance to maybe play for a national championship and didn't get it done? If Florida can get a win and end up in Atlanta, will there be some Bulldog fans that feel like either UGA might have missed the window or let Florida catch up? I mean, because there's a lot riding on this game. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think a lot of people will start to look at Kirby Smart a little bit differently. And, and, you know, a lot of people trot out those metrics, those comparisons that his first three years in Athens look a lot like Mark Rick's first three years in Athens, except Georgia's gotten a little bit further. They've been to the national title game. Most the playoff scenarios are different now. But then Georgia's bringing in top three recruiting classes rather than top eight, top nine, top ten recruiting classes. I think a loss here will cause a lot of domination to start thinking the play coming into the program are just fine, but maybe the coaching and development might be the problem. I think folks will start looking at start looking at the coordinator. They'll start looking at the coordinator hires where Kirby went within to hire his offensive and defensive coordinators this season after Jim Chaney went to Tennessee and Mel Tucker took the job in Colorado. A lot of folks, this is what they'll start thinking about, Zach. They'll remember at the time in Nick Saban dynasty in Alabama where he had to look himself in the mirror and look and realize his offense wasn't that creative. His defense was having trouble keeping up with the Gus Malzahn's and the Johnny, Johnny footballs of the world. And he needed to do something different. And that's when he brought in an outsider in the form of, in the form of Lane Kiffin to kind of jazz up and modernize his old ground and bound offense. I think a win will have Georgia people thinking, 
in the rain. You're going to lose any game when you're minus four in the turnover ratio to an SEC team like yeah. Georgia was against South Carolina. And I think those things are valid. But the thing I keep coming back to, this will be as long as I look at this Georgia-Florida rivalry. And I don't think neither Georgia, no Florida, ever really know what type of football team they have until they come out of Duval County in November and figure out whether they were better than Florida or whether they couldn't beat Florida and vice versa. This yeah. game, to all the Georgia people, this has always been a, okay, we know what we might have flashed. We know what we might have done in our game where, yada, 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 we weren't up to the game or that other team just got a lucky break or this guy was hurt. Once you get past the Georgia-Florida game, I think all the data is there to realize whether you're a, a Tampa, an Orlando bowl team or bowl team on New Year's Day, or whether you're going to be representing the SEC East against the SEC best champion in Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. And I'm going to make no bones about this one, my friend. If, if Georgia doesn't make it to, to Atlanta this year, after all this recruiting, and after what they've been able to do, it will look like a regression in the program because most fault, most thought going into this year that the ceiling for this Georgia team with at least two or three first round guys in this program in the starting lineup right now, that they thought the ceiling might be the national championship game, but they thought the worst case scenario would have been the SEC East championship. And then Kirby Smart's seat's not going to get hot, but I do think there's going to be some hot hot sauce added to a lot of the decisions he's made lately with his program. And then final thing, just want to get your take on this before we let you go. The contract was signed to keep the game in Jacksonville for a few more years. What do you think about that and the tradition of it being played in Jacksonville? Would you be open to either a home-and-home or a scenario where they do one year in Gainesville and Jacksonville, one year in Athens and then Jacksonville? And if it's going to stay in Jacksonville, then two-part question. And do you think that they should open it up to allow each school to have recruits hosted for the game? I guess I'm not buying a lot of the talk that even comes out of Athens about they need that extra recruiting weekend, they need guys to come in, and they need to add another attractive home game matchup to jazz up the schedule to help recruiting. I get it. Everybody wants to keep recruiting at the highest level possible, and that will help things in the end. But I don't know how much at a much higher level – Georgia can recruit than it happens over the last two years in spite of having that game in Jacksonville every year. For Georgia people, I think the thing that they look at is Georgia has the issue where they have to play the neutral site game every year in Jacksonville with Florida. That's one of the greatest traditions in college football. It's special. It's right up there with the Red River shootout between Texas and Oklahoma. But then Georgia also has to juggle the end of the year rivalry game with Georgia Tech. And that's a, that's a, that's a, those are two kind of issues that most of the SEC doesn't have to deal with. And with, with everybody wanting to trump up their, their out-of-conference schedule to where those two cupcake games in the non-conference schedule are offset by one big whale of the game like a Notre Dame, like a Clemson, uh, like a UCLA, like an Oklahoma. I think that it's very hard for Georgia to do that when they're looking at that neutral side game every year in Jacksonville, and also they're looking at the Georgia Tech game. I think there's got to be something done between one of those games in order to allow the other one to be a, to keep continuing on in this era of 
college football. I just know this. Everyone, whether you're a student, whether you're a journalist, whether you're a player, that is an irreplaceable experience to go to Jacksonville, over the bridge, half and half in Florida and Georgia colors, come out with a win in that game. Those are always some of the best moments for all these players during their college careers. I don't think this rivalry should lose that. Appreciate Jeff for joining us on the show today and giving us some perspective on the Bulldogs. On tomorrow's show, we'll continue to break down this Florida-Georgia rivalry with some perspective from the players, and we'll also look more at Florida's exhibition win over Lynn. Make sure you stay tuned to Locked on Gators, your team every day.